and lightweight. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ohioan Podcast. Craig Schaub here with George Thomas of the Akron Beacon Journal. George, how you doing today? I'm fine in the uh, great content void, let's call it, of summer of, of yeah, 2022. Yeah. Yeah, this is a uh, quite the uh, you know bullet train is is out in a couple uh, weeks now, and you know there's a few movies here and there that are coming out, but yeah, this is a sort of the bad time of of the movie world, uh, along with January, of course, is the late uh, late summer release schedule, August and September. Generally speaking, not a lot of good stuff out there, but we are going to be talking. We're here to talk about streaming. We've talked about it quite a bit here, especially over the last couple of you know weeks with a lack of uh, releases. And in this case, we're going to be talking about uh, Disney and Disney Plus. They've uh, announced the plan for a ad-free or an ad-based tier, and then of course the ad-free tier, which they currently have. But they're going to be raising the rates. It looks like by $3 up to $11 for the uh, ad-free version. And then the ad-supported tier will take over this pricing slot that they currently are at. I'm a little conflicted about this. I don't know that I think Disney Plus is worth $11 a month based on the content, the quality of content they have. Yes, they have Marvel movies. They have Star Wars, which I'm very excited about. They have Pixar movies, which is great. But I don't know that this is like I, I always thought the price point was perfectly adequate for what Disney Plus was. What do you think, George? Is it worth the raise in rates to be ad free? I really think that nobody was paying attention three years ago when Disney Plus launched because Disney is nothing but a family crack dealer. Um, <laughs> that is true. Everybody, when they launched, that price points, what was it? They started at $6.99, if I'm not mistaken. I do, or $5.99, one of the two, yeah. And then they jacked it up a buck about a year down the line. Yeah. But $6.99 price point, all this Disney, all this Marvel, all this Star Wars content, this is a deal. Yeah. And they got everybody hooked. And now, at eleven bucks, like ten ninety nine, people like you are going to look at it differently. Look, if you've got a family, if you've got small kids, uh, you know this basically is the equivalent of buying four Disney DVDs a year. Yeah, Disney yeah. Disney Blu-rays a year. That's true. Um, to uh, putting your your player and keep your kids satisfied. Uh, for someone like us, you have to question it. You know what? Um, it begs a question. I think, as an adult, I don't watch a lot of Star Wars unless it's a new series. I got news for you. Disney knows we're always going to come back. Right. Even if we skip a month, we'll be back. Right. But I'm more apt to spend my money because the series output isn't monthly yet. You know what I mean? Correct. Right. It's basically every two or three months for a new Disney series that caters to a wide audience. I'm more apt to spend five bucks on Apple TV as an oh, adult. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Than I am to do so with Disney because the programming is more appealing to me as an adult. Now, I am no longer technically their demographic. I'm a 56 year old black male whose youngest son just graduated high school, who's basically grown out of that must have it phase. He could end up end up like me someday where he's a nerd and he likes having it having access to it all the time. But I don't watch a lot of their library content. Right. And if I do watch it, I'm popping in a 4K because that's my preferred way to view it. Right. Like um 
Marvel movie. I movies. I just bought Doctor Strange and the multi, Multiverse of Madness two weeks ago on 4K because it looks better on my television and definitely sounds better on my television. Right. So that's where they are with this. But anybody who thought this wasn't going to happen is borderline naive. Right. Well, definitely naive and borderline crazy. Yeah, was- I mean, I, yeah, I agree there. I, I do. I, I will say that I'm at least happy that when they did it, they at least can say, "Well, look, we've got a growing library of original content." Because before they open up and it's like, "Oh, well, we have the Mandalorian, and then that's it." And then what's what's coming next year? Well, we have the Mandalorian, and then okay, well, what's what's coming down the pipe here? You know, what's what's happening? And it's like, well, we've got this, and and so we starting we're starting to see things materialize, I think, and it, it's at least warranting a rise in price. Now, I think some of the additions that they've made with Deadpool and Logan, and of course the Marvel DC, the Marvel um, Netflix series that they now have that have gone to the mature audiences, I think will help bring in some new, you know, excitement for the for the subscribing base which they've you know we'll talk here in a few minutes about their subscription base but i I do wonder though some of the programming and i'm not trying to hate on anything because everybody was you know going bananas for obi-wan kenobi or you know what i mean andor is coming out here in the next month or so and andor looks damn good but it does look good but then you also kind of wonder like i mean is it is it really gonna i mean is it gonna inspire a lot of new subscribers i mean star wars fans like yourself and myself are we gonna i haven't even touched obi-wan kenobi yet and i'm a huge <clears throat> Obi-Wan. i know i need to but i i'm gonna tell you my my disney stuff here i'm my wife and i watched monsters at work which i i told you about and i you know it wasn't that great but it was whatever you know we watched it let's just finish it but other than that, we watched Lightyear recently, and that was the last. I mean, those are the only two things that I have watched on Disney Plus in the last year, to be blunt. And it just, you know, I mean, I can go to it if I ever get in the, you know, a hankering for Star Wars. My wife watches it a little bit more than I do. She watches it a little bit more frequently. Uh, we have it through our cell phone plan, so there's no real like. Oh well, you know we could cancel it and save money because it's a part of her device that she has with the, the plan. So it's not like we'd save money if we say we don't want it. But I don't know. It's like there's. I mean, are are people clamoring for She Hulk? I'm. You know what I mean. I, I I guess that's sort of my my question is, are they really producing like really that content that we really want. I mean, people thought Bo- the book of Boba Fett was more of the fan service, which it was, but I mean, what do you think? How do you, what, what do you make of their original content? Is it really that worthwhile overall? Well, I think they're producing their original content is the, they're producing original content directed at what they view their demographic their prime audience to be they're trying to capitalize on that marvel demographic Uh, whether or not she hulk is must see depends on how well it it, it's done i mean for some odd reason people hold the i don't want to say grudge i I have an idea why it is but it's like ms marvel which is Mm. which i enjoyed immensely right right but is it it depends all of the marvel series involving marvel characters cuz i've not watched what if or any of the the ancillary shows but um falcon and the winter soldier that was great television to me right it it made me see more made me want to see more marvel stuff now right. The, the question they're going to have to ask themselves themselves is when is this getting ridiculous and when are some of these B-list, C-list characters 
not going to be worth the, the the effort. But right. they're trying to make it must-see by tying them all in with the MCU right. in some form or fashion. Right. I think that's my biggest problem is it seems like we're getting into characters that the casual fan base just they don't know who they I, I don't think very many casual fans know who Miss Marvel is, for instance, or even really She-Hulk. You know, they might, oh, that must be the the female version of Hulk, which it is. But I think that's my problem is that they're really and I don't want to say that they're they're you know, they're scraping the bottom of the barrel, so to speak, in terms of those B and C list characters. And then, like you said, tying it in with other MCU projects to justify it. And then maybe they'll get a cameo in one of these, you know, 2025 Avenger movies or something. I don't know. I feel like, why can't we have more Obi-Wan Kenobi characters? Why can't there be a Darth Vader? I mean, you know, why, why aren't we mining quality, well-known characters that transcend you have to be a Star Wars fan to know who Darth Vader is. You don't. Because they don't want to pay those actors? <laughs> I don't think, I mean, okay, but it is, you know, Hayden Christensen, I don't think, is like demanding. No, you know, no, we're talking about MCU actors. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I get it. I get that, but. How much is Chris Evans going to ask for to return to Captain America, for instance? Well, okay, yeah, yeah. Robert Downey Jr., he took him to the bank several times even before the, the TV series stuff. I oh, think part no. of it is economics. Part of them part of yeah. it is is wanting to expand this universe, which I give them credit for on some level. They're not trying to regurgitate everything except yeah. the Fantastic Four. So <laughs> I'll I'll give them I'll give them credit for that. But yeah. you know which, funny enough, their their plan, I guess, was to not have that be an Origins story when they do have the, was it the 2024 release for Fantastic Four? Is not going to be any Origins at all, which I, I don't know if the Fantastic Four is a known enough commodity by casual fans to be like, oh, I know their backstory. I, you know, it seems like we get a, a different rendition of a Spider-Man or Batman origin story in almost every movie why why do they feel the need oh no everybody knows the fantastic fours you know backstory we don't need to worry about five ten minutes of that do we i think it's a case of you know we couldn't get this right the first couple times so they think just dropping them into the middle of a movie is going to be like yep that works fantastic four works i think you you know the whole and the idea too that you know, and Kevin Feige's kind of even said this like John Krasinski was like a one off Mr. Fantastic in this universe, and that they want to go in a different direction or whatever. And at this point, they're going to have to make some decisions now if the movie's going to come out in 2024, if they want to get, get going on casting, production, you know, getting the visual effects in. They're going to have to get started fairly soon on this, uh, on the casting of it. Why wouldn't you cater to the fans then and say, yeah, Krasinski, Emily Blunt, Krasinski directing, and then whoever the hell you want for Human Torch in the thing, in, in yeah. Doctor Doom? Because Kevin Feige wants what Kevin Feige wants, and he's Kevin Feige. So, <laughs> well, maybe he's also waiting for the Russo brothers to, you know, to to maybe get some oh. calendar days available so he can they can shoot the uh, the Fantastic Four Russo brothers. Are set. They have their own universe on Netflix. They're good. They do, but Marvel comes a calling. I'm sure you know, and especially if Feige knows that he can control whatever they do. Fair here's, enough. Here's here's fifty million dollars. Go direct Fantastic Four. You know, I don't know. I I mean, I don't know what the perfect selection is for Fantastic Four. At this point, uh, I think Michael Chiklis was the perfect. Well, yeah. And I like Chris You're, Evans as the Human Torch. Chris Evans as the Human Torch, yeah. The, yeah. Um, director, putting it all together, how, what what is the perfect package for the Fantastic Four? Who directs? Who should star? I mean, it's like, why can't we get that right? I mean, I, I'd argue that 
I'd argue that it was more more story director than anything else. And I I see here's the thing. I can't even remember who played Reed Richards. That was uh Richards. It was that Yoan Grufford. Ian Griffin, okay. Yeah, whatever. I don't know how to pronounce his name. And then, of course, uh, Jessica Alba playing the Invisible Woman. So, what what would you like to do? Let's get one of the most beautiful women that's like hot right now in Hollywood, and like let's have her be the Invisible Woman, is what they did. Um, I mean, the second the Josh Trank reboot or whatever you want to call it, which was a complete disaster. Mess, I mean, there was some elements of like you know I like Michael B. Jordan as a Human Torch. Um, I, I didn't really mind like Kate Mara as the invisible woman, but they didn't really have anything to do. They're good actors that just had nothing to do and yep. nothing good to say. Nope. So it, it wasn't really a failure on their part, casting wise, more so than it was the rest of it was just a complete disaster. But I mean, I don't know who would you pick if you could, if you could get a director, I know someone on Twitter one time and you'll love this was talking about how Steven Spielberg would be the perfect Fantastic Four director. And it's like, yeah, of course he would, but why would he do that? Well, he did do Ready Player One, but, you know. Yeah, but that's not like, that's not put into a box that, from Marvel. And, well, yeah, well, you're, you're absolutely right. That, But see, I think he, I, I think he did Ready Player One simply because, yeah, I need to have some fun. So let's go have some fun. I, I think that's what, it's not his 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 trademark. It's not his genre anymore. Whereas we were at one point, and you're still young. <laughs> when I was coming up, that's all you were used to seeing from him. This genre stuff. This it all had something to say. It was all fun. It was all great filmmaking generally, but it's it's not him anymore. And to be honest with you, I was shocked we saw it again after Jurassic Park. But because if you're going to go leave leave the genre stuff behind, there aren't too many other films you could have left on a high mark like that. You know what I mean? Right. So, anyway, well, I, I mean, I, I, and I would that, much, certainly much rather have Spielberg you know, make another Munich type movie as opposed to War of the Worlds or, you know, franchisee type stuff. I mean, obviously we've got, he's producing the Indiana Jones movie with James Mangold directing, but, you know, I, I yeah, I mean, of course anybody would want Spielberg or, you know, of course Kevin Feige would be like, oh, Steven Spielberg wants to meet sure. But you're not going to get that. But what about John Krasinski? I mean, I, I think he could work into your parameters while still being creative enough to be like, we're going to make a pretty good Fantastic Four movie. Plus, he can star Emily Blunt, not just because she's his wife, but she makes sense as an invisible woman. She would be a good actress to play that part. She's a terrific actress. I mean, why are we making it harder? And, he, you know, it's almost like he... he he cast Krasinski in Doctor Strange to 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 play to our fantasy casting. Why not just keep it? What's what's so bad about that? I mean, sometimes you kind of stub your own toe. You you, you get in your own way. Like you overthink it. Yeah. Maybe he's got too much power and pull in the MCU, and that's why. He wouldn't just say, yeah, if John Krasinski's in on this, why would we not want to have a very talented actor and director make this movie that has had three different movies be terrible over the last 20 years or whatever it's been? I mean, it, it makes sense to to try to get a quality director and actor to, to really get behind this project. Well, what happens if you bump heads well i understand i will say this though you can see that over the since really since endgame and maybe no way home was different but that was also a collaborative project if you're looking at mcu only projects 
they haven't exactly been lighting the world on fire with great projects. I mean, they've had some swings and misses. I mean, Thor Love and Thunder was a miss, a misfire for that for that MCU. Creatively? It, it just wasn't a good film. Like, the quality of content has... Even Doctor Strange had its detractors. So, I, I mean... That one I'm not going to buy, because he got the perfect director for that. No, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, Sam Raimi was perfectly, you know, perfect director for it, but there were some people that are like, oh, it's a little messy, uneven, whatever. But, you know, we're, see, we're... But see, that that's Sam Raimi. Yeah. All of his films were me- are, are a tad messy here and there. Even Spider-Man was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think it's just... You don't see the same... And I know it's we're not we're talking about an Avengers movie with all these great well-known characters that you've learned to love over the last five, ten years, and I get that, but it just seems like you know it, Eternals wasn't all that well received by everybody, and you just you just kind of wonder like what's the focus now? Have they kind of just said we've we've we made a great saga that really was pretty well connected that there were very few holes in the plot and the, in the timelines and stories. And now we're just kind of like unbuckling the pants and just taking a break. I, if you look at all these movies that came after Endgame, um, if you just, Take them on face value. Do you know what the commonality is? All of the movies after Endgame, the main hero in each one, it's it's them dealing with the events of Endgame. Right. Even even with 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 Falcon and Winter Soldier, that yeah. was the, those characters dealing with the events of Endgame. Spider Man, same thing. <laughs> um. Sorry about that. Okay. Um, Doctor Strange, Wanda Maximoff, massively dealing with those events in um, the television series and this movie, in the most recent Doctor Strange. That's all it's about. There, there's loose canon there. There are loose narrative threads throughout all these movies that's, that are probably coming together in Phase 5. Um, yeah. uh, the, the chief one being, uh, is it, what is it? Kang? Yeah. Kang the Conqueror. Yeah. Kang is, is going to end up being that main bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. So I, 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 have they wasted some time? Maybe. Um, but I, it's, a an easy way to get your next story element, main story element, buy time for that development and have some fun on the way. I mean, I agree with you wholeheartedly. They're they're unlike the Avenger or the uh, the the first phases. This last phase seems like there's there's been nothing Like they weren't really building towards anything. I think that's that's all going to change. Yeah. And I get but it. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Kang is going to be a pretty good bad guy. And I, I guess my biggest concern is like, who's the leader? Like we had Iron Man, we had, you know, um, Captain sure. America. We had good ancillary characters. I think one of the things, one of the reasons why I don't like the Thor movies as much is because I don't think Thor is a a lead character. And I don't think the incredible Hulk is either. I think they work great in the team element, but I don't know that they can carry their own projects, which is why I'm not like beating down the door for even, you know, an incredible Hulk movie type thing, you know, even though they've re you know, they can reboot it because they have a new actor. It's not Edward Norton. It's not Eric Bana anymore, but at the same time, I don't, I just don't think that, and I don't think Thor, I think Thor is great comic relief, but I think we've seen there's too much comic relief. And I think that's what the problem with Th- Love and Thunder was, is it was just like a, 
a running gag almost every time he spoke and, and instead of like the serious nature of things he's good in the comic relief role in the avengers i think they were setting t'challa up for that role eventually that's yeah yeah with access to avengers headquarters in upstate new york but i i really i really think black panther was being set up for that um now i think it might be shang chi but then we've had a year go by without a lot but, of Shang-Chi involvement in anything else. Uh, my guess is you'll see him in, in the Marvels. Okay. But I'm not, that, that's just a calculated guess on my part. We're missing the obvious. Who's the mentor now? It's Dr. Strange. Yeah, but he and doesn't have that same I, charisma, though, that Tony Stark had, which not many people do. Oh, he doesn't quite have that Tony Stark charisma. I love Benedict Cum Cumberbatch, but... As I'm going to disagree. Okay. He's, he's just a more low-key Tony yeah. Stark. He really is. Yeah. That was the same character. I mean, that th those two squaring off against one another in those two movies, it, it right. was... It was basically emotional, intellectual twins. Yeah, right. I, so, I agree. So I, I, I think you're dealing with charisma between the actors more than anything. Robert well, Downey Jr. Yeah. Little perspective, and we're going back years again. Robert Downey Jr. has always popped on the screen. Oh, yeah. yeah. He, I don't know if you've ever seen Weird Science. Yeah. Popped on the screen in a, in a minor role. Um, there are a couple others he had in the, 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 at, the, at the start of his career where you could tell or you'd ask, who the hell is this kid? Yeah. And, you know, he messed it all up for a while, but... Yeah, it, it's he's he's got that innate. He's a movie star. Yeah, and that's yeah. the best way to look at it. Right. He's a movie star, but he's an actor. Benedict Cumberbatch is an actor, so I think that's the difference you're dealing with. Okay, and I don't. I mean, I love Benedict Cumberbatch. I think he's a terrific actor, and I think he's a perfect Doctor Strange. I just, you know, you the the personalities on screen, and maybe you're right with the movie star. Chris Evans is Captain America, you know, Robert Downey Jr. is Tony Stark, um, you know, to a lesser degree, Chris Hemsworth is Thor, although my wife's probably going to draw the ire of my wife there. But um, are you are you risking divorce right now? No, I don't think so. I hope not. But she's a she's a Thor fan. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, didn't Kevin Feige also say maybe the Fantastic Four, maybe Reed Richards might be that that leader of the pack, so to speak, possibly moving forward? That is a risk, I think. Yeah, I think because, so. Because if he's looking to do that, he has to. They have that. They are going to have to establish a Fantastic Four fairly quickly. Then, yep. To do that, and they're going to have to establish good Fantastic Four because let's say that movie comes out in 2024 and it's terrible. And you're hitching your wagons to that Reed Richards, even if the star power is there with whoever the actor may be. If the movie's terrible, then I think people are going to kind of like, well, whatever, we don't really care. And then you're going into 2025 and you've got two Avengers movies slated for 2025. And if Reed Richards is the leader of the Avengers or whatever now, you better hope you hit a home run with your Avengers or with your uh, Fantastic Four because otherwise people are going to be like, "Yeah, I don't really care. Yeah, very good point. And maybe that's why you cast John Krasinski as Reed Richards. Perhaps. You get star power. You get people that want it anyway. The fanboys want it. You get a guy that can act, a guy that can play that part. And if, you know, maybe he might become the new Marvel guy directing. I don't know. It sounds like he wants to be involved, even though I'm sure he probably could talk to any Marvel director that's, you know, made a film under the Kevin Feige regime and know that you're probably not going to have a lot of creativity freedom. But just the idea of being able to make a movie that you've kind of 
I'm sure by now he's heard it so much on social media. He's probably obsessed with making it at this point because that's all he's been hearing about, about with his name attached to making a fantastic four or being involved in the fantastic four. So I don't know. I think it's a partnership. If you're going to move forward with who the leader of the Avengers is, and it's going to be Reed Richards, you got to get a star power. You got to get something as close to Robert Downey Jr. As you can get, and maybe John Krasinski's that guy. Jack Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> well, people, and there are, there's probably a, a, a host of people that know him now only because of the Jack Ryan. There's probably people that don't even know who he was from the office. And because <laughs> they don't watch the office, and Jack Ryan probably aren't, you know, mutually exclusive, you know, viewership. I never watched the office. Okay. So, but I knew who he was. Right. I and never, of course, the Quiet Place has also gained him some popularity too. But yeah, but I think he's going to be done with that saying, after the he's going to be yeah. done with that after the third movie, apparently. Right. And is he even directing the third movie, or is is he I going? I think to, he's turning it over, if I remember correctly. Yeah. He's so, producing. Yeah, so he's clearly on his way out there, which, you know, again, Kevin Feige, that would benefit. Now, I don't want to say that, you know, he should direct Fantastic Four and it's going to be a great movie. I'm not saying that if he directs a Fantastic Four, it's going to be great or anything. I'm just saying if you're going to if you're going to try to reboot a franchise that's had three just terrible movies, you probably should try to find the best talent you can find to inhabit that world because I think people will buy into it before they go see it. And you might have a better shot at making a better movie. If you have better people involved from start to finish, not nothing against Josh Trank because there was a lot of excitement when he took the franchise over after Chronicle was so successful and people thought, wow, just imagine what he could do with a budget. Well, it didn't really work out, but you know, you would think Krasinski could, you know, bring everything together. He's got a little bit more experience, been around a little bit longer than Trank, even though Trank probably has made just only a fewer, you know, maybe a couple fewer movies. And a lot of that was because of the disappointment that Fantastic Four was more so than, you know, his talent level. But I don't know. I think if you're going to reboot or not reboot, but moving forward, if you're going to have a big star power leading that way, and I think you need it for Marvel you got to get some some names with some cachet, and I don't know. Who, I don't know who else he would cast as Reed Richards that would provide you with that cachet. And now I'm, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna play devil's advocate. Okay. Uh, Chris Evans's biggest role prior to Captain America was probably as the Human Torch. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, but but he wasn't. But. He wasn't leading a multi-billion dollar franchise that you would if like if you're the leader of the Avengers in Secret Wars or whatever the one whatever the order is going to be like I don't know that you were like oh let's get the up and coming actor that you know this is going to star power that Reed Richards. I mean I'm not saying you can't do that. I just that's a risk. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. was only a risk because of his past. He wasn't a risk because of the star power that he brought to the table. If you yeah, if you look at the other Avengers cast members, Chris Hemsworth was relatively unknown. Chris Evans wasn't Chris Evans before that. But I feel like you need star power. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying you need Tom Cruise, but, you, you know, you got to feel like... You need someone big. Whoever the leader of the Avengers is going to be needs to be, you know, that guy or that girl. If it's a female, you know, leader of the of the team, you know, it, it could be Brie Larson as Captain Marvel. Although, I think you and I could both agree that most of the fan people would probably say no to that. But I don't know, care about fanboys. I don't care about them either. I'm just saying, you know, you know how people would. Some people would perceive that. I don't know why they would, but you know they would. But I don't know. I'm just saying, I, I think you want to grab the attention of people and say, this is going to be Reed Richards. And then they're like, oh, yeah, there you go. Even if it's not John Krasinski, have it be someone 
Like, just, wow, I didn't expect that. Like, good get by Marvel. They have my money. Problem. They can afford it. And my problem is I don't know who that is right now. It's tr- it's tough. I know. I know. Plus, you got to cast everybody else and all these other new parts and then Fantastic Four parts. But, all right. Well, I think we've talked about that enough. I did want to get with you on the Disney had their quarterly meeting, their second quarter earnings. They were up. From subscribers of over 14 million subscribers up to 152 million and growing and still lost money and still lost money tell us uh, how did the the quarterly meeting go for disney and uh all those fun properties that we just discussed well the actual walt disney company made money because they as a corporation have license to print money the, the streaming part of it lost money yeah and it wasn't insignificant money it was in the billions if i'm not mistaken um they added 15 million new subscribers or something akin to that between them Mm -hmm. uh i think it's between all three services but it may just be disney plus yet you know something we've talked about way in the past was how you know the Economics of streaming just doesn't really work out, which is why I think you're seeing this price increase. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, they are right now, if you combine all three services that they have, that their bundle. They are the most viewed, most subscribed to uh, service on the planet. That's with Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus. They have 221 million subscribers worldwide. More power to them. Like I said, the economics just isn't there right now. I think eventually Hollywood, these studios are going to have to view streaming services as a complimentary piece of their revenue puzzle as opposed to the lead piece like Jason Kalar wanted to do. Do I was going to ask you, do you think that that benefits uh, HBO's new plan here where, yeah, they axed Batgirl at $90 million and they're kind of jettisoning some of these HBO Max programs or original movies. Do you think that's the mindset that they have where they, they don't look at streaming as this is the main the main dish? Like they they, they want it, but it's not gonna it's not gonna work out to their favor in the future. I, I think they realize exactly what I just said. Theatrical pre-pandemic was the bread and butter. Everything else after theatrical, you you make your money back in theatrical on a film, for instance. Everything after that is gravy. It's gravy money. Um, You know, and and one day, I'll give you, and this is just anecdotal. I don't know if you spend any time on, 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 on Reddit at all. Not much. You know, I, I I read Reddit to get news links. Once in a while, I'll dive into certain subreddits related to streaming, cord cutting, et cetera, et cetera, and, and look at some of the topics. And all these people can talk about is flipping services over, mm-hmm. piracy, yeah. and and doing whatever it's possible to not have to pay. Right. And part of me gets it. Okay. Back in the days of, 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 of VHS, I was known to throw a couple VCRs together and, and copy a movie here and there. <laughs> but in this day and age, they are, and mind you, I've matured. <laughs> I don't do that anymore. I don't pirate in any form or fashion. But they they don't think they should pay for anything. Yeah. And that's why 
streaming as a primary revenue stream, I don't think will ever work. And it's like they're gonna they're gonna need to get money out of people in some way. Yeah. And the Batman and there's one other film they used to to illustrate this have have shown that if a movie is very successful in theaters first, yeah. it's just like home video, DVD. If the movie's successful in theaters, people want to go out and buy it. If movie's successful in theaters, maybe you, you pick up subscribers, new subscribers, even right. if it's just for much, just for a month. But guess what? You got more money out of them, or you got some money out of them. Yeah. So. Well, I think that's sort of interesting because the Batman was that 45 day window, but more recently HBO Max is not necessarily, it's going to be a case by case basis, which on is the way it they should be. At, which I don't, I don't disagree with, but are you kind of surprised? Because like, I don't know what Elvis's final box office take was, but that was a movie that some people anticipated coming onto HBO Max pretty shortly. It's not going to. It's on video on demand first. I mean, are you surprised that it's going to be like that, where no. a movie like Elvis couldn't come no. on? Because you, you could gain some. You gained the box office, and then it, you know, Elvis probably petered out at the box office a lot sooner than the Batman did. Before the bat, the Batman was still making money in the theatrical cut. When they were getting on HBO Max, are you telling me that Elvis will benefit more with not being on HBO Max and maybe picking up new subscribers because they want to see Elvis? Yeah, but you know what HBO, what Warner Brothers has done? They've taken that to pay-per-view already for right. 20 bucks. Right. They've, they've widened that window. Haven't said when it's going to be, but if you want to see it, you're going to pay us more than... You're gonna pass, period. Right. And they they've taken it to pay-per-view. I saw it on uh actually I saw it on my um my Chromecast from Google TV. Do you know how I don't know if you've seen how they work work when they have ads? I forget who's who's selling it for twenty bucks to watch. Okay. And and, and they're gonna it's some people call it regression. I call it reality. Movies like that, that aren't obvious black blockbusters, they're going to bleed every red cent out of. Right. Before they, they put it on a streaming service. Right. And I don't blame them for doing that. I just was, I, I, I mean, I was a little surprised, I suppose, because, you know, I, I would have thought that that would have definitely applied to a blockbuster like The Batman or a Tenet. Movies that really they wanted people to go see in the theaters because there was a chance that you're going to get a huge box office return, which they did for the Batman. Movies like Elvis, which are kind of in that middle, probably, I mean, like I said, I don't really recall how well Elvis did at the the theatrical cut. Probably didn't do as well as they were maybe hoping with the star power of Tom Hanks in it. But, you know, at the end of the day, it, it, it had its run and... You know, I would think you would probably see it on HBO Max before long. But do you? Th- I mean, do you think that these places are are really making a lot of money at these video on demands? You know, when they have that little extra window now. I don't know. They've never, to my knowledge, released those numbers right. ever. But here you go. It could be rented for forty eight hours for twenty bucks. On Amazon Prime Video, Google Play, YouTube, Vudu, and others. It's coming out on 4K Blu-ray and DVD on September 13th. Okay. I will be, in all sincerity, I, I have to go and see if I have the news release on this because I get Warner Home Video news releases. I would be shocked if it shows up on uh, HBO Max prior to the Blu-ray and DVD releases because yeah. that's another it's a revenue stream. Revenue stream. Yeah, 
Oh yeah. I I don't disagree with that either. Like I really believe that, you know, and I don't know when Lightyear is coming out with, with their 4k release, but that was honestly something that I didn't know what to expect. I know it did, did not do very well at the box office. So I figured it'd be on, on Disney plus a little sooner than it probably normally would have been, but I guarantee it has to be out well before the, the Blu-ray release on that. And I mean, I'm glad it was because it was a movie I wanted to see, but it wasn't necessarily something that I was beating down the door to see at the theater. But, you know, I, I mean, I guess I'm kind of curious how the case by case basis works because I can understand the Batman. I don't know, Elvis. I mean, $20 to rent it for 48 hours. I mean, if you bought it on demand, you, you'd probably it's pay 20 It's 25. 25 to own eventually. So, okay. I mean... It, they, it must it, work. I mean, that, that must benefit them. I mean, I don't know how much it costs for them to put a movie like that on a video-on-demand site. I, I don't know if there's, like, royalty fees or how, how that really works, but it must benefit Warners to, to do that. Otherwise, they wouldn't. All gravy. <laughs> It's That's all true. gravy. That is true. I mean, look, I, I actually, you know, after we talked last week and did some more reading up, I actually am a little bit better with where HBO Max could be going as far as their commitment. I don't know that I understood their, their differentiating between HBO Max and Discovery as being man versus woman. I thought that was kind of dumb. I think they were kind of pigeonholing themselves into something and, an unnecessary way, but I think I'm a little bit better understanding of where they're going and what they, what their plans are and what they'd like to do. So I'm not, I'm not bad with that. It just, uh, I don't think the rollout has been well executed in terms of how they've canceled things all of a sudden. And, you know, I don't know if you, I don't know if you watched last week tonight with John Oliver, but he roasted HBO max and the, the new, daddy company as he calls it um basically you know burning down the company for the insurance money but i don't know i I still feel like they're in a good place hopefully this doesn't really bleed into investment into programming but it it, you know it's an unknown future at this point too with what hbo max or hbo is going to be yeah i guess we're gonna have to wait and see a little perspective Elvis costs $85 million to make. That's a lot. Um, box office is 253 right now. Okay. Like I said, they're just padding. Oh, they, yeah, they made money off of that. Oh, yeah. I mean, even if you're, you're talking about $100 million for advertising and international release, they still made money. They're, they're still doing well with that. Okay. Well, fair enough. Well, I know we're in the, the dog days of summer, uh, George, but w- is there anything coming up on the horizon for next week? God, no. <laughs> no. What are you, I guess the better question is, what are you streaming now? What are you watching in your, in your time where you're not going to the movie theater to see a new release or getting a link to watch something? First of all, I'm really hoping they give me review access to House of Dragon. Okay, um, yeah, yeah, HBO Max, yeah. That is out a week from Sunday. Yeah. So I hope to have something on that. As far as what I'm I'm still getting through uh um I went back to uh The Sandman. And okay. I'm, I'm working on that cuz I got I got through the first 3 episodes and stopped because of other stuff. Um only murders in the building, second season. I need to get started on that. Okay, okay. And I need to get started on that because we have not watched it yet. I need to get started on it. And right now, I have access to Star Trek Lower Decks, and you and I both know I'm a big. Yep. And that's actually found its groove as a piece of reverential animated comedy with. Right within canon for Star Trek. So there we go. Well, yeah, I mean, right now, other than Lightyear, which we watched over the over last weekend when it was out, um, 
been watching some Big Bang Theory. My wife and I wanted to kind of get a long, long range show that we could binge. So we're doing that. I'm telling you, the rehearsal with Nathan Fielder on Friday nights on HBO is is more and more becoming must watch programming. It's always trending on Twitter. I don't know if you'd like it or love it or hate it or whatever, but it, it, it is such a mind F, if, if you will, without saying the actual word, where basically he rehearses scenes of people's lives with them before they actually play them out in their real life. It's it's an incredibly interesting show. Some people don't really know how to take this guy because he's sort of part sociopath, but then also part introvert that uses this show to kind of like get over some of his introverted anxiety and fears. But this show is just absolutely crazy. And I think it's well worth a watch. It's, it's probably the most memorable show that I'll have watched this season or this year so far. Although hacks season two is really good. Obviously, we can't wait for Ted Lasso Season 3, but Nathan Fielder, if you've ever watched Nathan For You, which is also on HBO Max's Comedy Central show, was very funny. But this one, this show, the rehearsal just takes it way further. I mean, it's almost like he's doing Inception on on people. I mean, this guy is, is manipulative in some ways, but he's also kind of unique and you root for him a little bit it's just a strange show it's on friday nights um on hbo 10 p.m eastern i believe and probably after the bill maher stuff but well worth your time if you're uh, interested in seeing how strange people can be in this world fair enough all Let right actually check that out i suggest watch one episode it's it's 30 minutes it breezes through you'll 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 probably love it or hate it, but I, it's just such an engrossing show. Like every Friday night, I'm telling my wife, we got to watch the rehearsal. It's on right now. We got to get home or we got to watch it, get it started because it is like uh, it is a, a completely off the wall docudrama series scripted. I mean, it's it's crazy. You just have to give it a shot. Just give it a shot. All right. All right. Well, sir, we will uh, maybe convene next week with some more uh, thoughts on streaming as the summer movie season has hit sort of a standstill, I suppose. But uh, the one benefit here is that Oscar season is around the corner, so we can always look forward to that. Toronto is coming up in about a month or so, right? So we're getting closer to the starting line of good movie season. Thank God. (laughs) All right, George. Well, you take care. We'll see you next week. All right. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend, Byron McCauley. Hey, Jennifer. You know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was looking forward to writing this book with you. We hope to interview some uh, high-impact folks as well as have a little fun. We're going to cover stories of hope to learn more about our podcast and our book, please visit www.hopeinterrupted.com.